Masechet Sota, Daf Mem. We just mentioned the opinion of several sages that during Berkat Kohanim, the people listening should recite the uh, three Pistukim. Uh, they are being blessed and they, they should say Baruch Hashem to acknowledge that Hashem is blessing them and then they should uh, show their gratitude by giving blessing in return. Uh, and we saw several different um, um, opinions and possibilities of Pisukim. One can say uh, during a regular day for Musaf, for Yom Kippur. And now we ask, Hechan Omran, where exactly should, when exactly should the uh, congregation say these Pisukim? Rav Yosef Amar ben Kol Beracha o Beracha. Rav Sheshat Amar Bhaskarat Hashem. Rav Yosef says, in between, when it says Beracha, not, it doesn't mean Baruchata, it means each Pasuk of Berkat Kohanim, which each one is a Beracha, is a blessing. So after the Kohanim say, Yibarach Hashem v'yishmerecha, then the congregation says their part. And after the second one, in between each Pasuk. Rav Shashat, however, says, no, no, it's when the Kohanim say Hashem's name, Yibarachah Hashem, after they say Hashem, that's when they say these Pesukim. Another machloket, Peligiba Rav Mari v'Rav Zevid, Chad Amar Pesuka Lekobel Pesuka, Vechad Amar Akol Pesuka Amar Lehu Lekulahu. Two opinions about what to say. One says that when the Kohanim say one Pasuk, then the congregation also says one Pasuk. When they say the second pasuk, then the congregation, and then the, when the Kohanim say the third pasuk, the congregation says the third pasuk. All right, in all of the possibilities we saw, there are three pasukim, so that would make sense. But the other opinion says, no, for every pasuk that the Kohanim say, the congregation will recite all three pasukim. And then the, then the Kohanim say the second pasuk, and the congregation it again says all three pasukim. Another machloket, Rabbi Chia says, anyone who says that outside the Bet HaMikdash is mistaken. I just spoke to someone today who went up to Harabait and they had a minyan with them and they prayed Shacharit and they did Berkat Kohanim on Harabait. Um, so uh, I asked them, you know, if they could, uh, if they could follow these halachot and uh, do it the way they did up on Harabait. Anyway, Bichia says um, this: these extra pesukim should be said when uh, the when Berkat Kohanim is said in the Bet Hamikdash. There, it has a special holiness significance, and then there it's appropriate to say the pesukim. But outside the temple, no. Rebichanina said, no, you're not supposed to say it anywhere, not even in the Mikdash during Kohanim. Should not say it. Why? Can, can you imagine a servant that um, he is being blessed and he's not paying attention, right? If you have a servant and a, a, a king, a boss is, is praising that servant and the servant is, uh, is, uh, uh, reading a book at the same time, right? That doesn't make sense. If someone's giving you praise, you should stand in attention. This is similar to nowadays. Sometimes the bride and groom, they like to, uh, the, they like to say prayers during the ceremony. Which is a nice thing to do, except that yes, they have to do it at the right time. When uh, the chazan is singing to them, boy kala, he's singing to the kala, and she she's she's praying. She's not paying attention, or the rabbi saying a uh, speech, some words of praise to them. It's appropriate for them to be paying attention to the actual ceremony that is being uh, uh, done and that is being said for them. So it's nice to pray during the ceremony, but 
at appropriate times. So here too, um, if the Kohanim are blessing the people, the people should stand in attention and pay attention to the words and receive the blessing with in with gratitude and not be saying words, reading you know reading from a book or saying words that will be distracting. Okay, so therefore one should not say it anywhere. However, he says the opposite. One should say this pesukim everywhere, not only Bet Hamikdash, even outside. Because can you imagine? Would you have a slave that is is someone is blessing him and he doesn't show his face brighten? Right? If someone gives you a compliment, you you smile, you acknowledge, and how do we acknowledge where to the kohanim? And to Hashem, who's blessed, who's giving us a blessing, it's not just by looking at them, right? It's not that's not the point. They're not looking at us, um, but rather it's by expressing our gratitude by saying pesukim. Thank you, Hashem, for this blessing. Baruchu Hashem. Right? If someone gives you a compliment, you're going to say thank you for the compliment. Right? I like your tie also. So how could you just sit there and do nothing and you know, stare at the walls? You should say something. Okay. Abu says, I used to say these Pesukim, but then I saw Rabbi Abba from Akko, and he did not say these Pesukim, so I stopped saying them also. All right, this is very interesting. First, Rabbi Abu, he is a very important sage from Kesaria. Um, Kesaria also was the regional. Uh, uh, um, a governing city of the Romans. The Romans controlled the area of Syria and Judea from Caesarea. So it was a very important um, government town. And for that reason, as we're going to see in a second, Rabbi Abhu uh, was close to the government. It was um, a rather Hellenized city. is as the conclusion of the story. Rambam and Shulchan Aruch say that one should remain silent uh, during Berkat Kohanim uh, with uh, one's eyes lowered and uh, accept and pay attention to the words and not be um, uh, distracted with anything else um, and not even with reciting Pesukim. Rama adds that if the Chazan is singing for a long time and in that case it's permitted to say these blessings. Um, in that case you're not really uh, being distracted during Berkat Kohanim. You're being distracted. You're not, it's not distraction. You're saying, Kohan, you're saying these Pesukim that are relevant um, and you're doing it during the Chazan's prompt, which can go on for a long time. And uh, so there are some people that like to add these Pesukim at that time. Um, but the uh, primary halacha is to um, remain silent in attention. We have a series of some fascinating stories. Since we mentioned Rabbi Abu, that's the rabbi from Kesaria, and how he saw Rabbi Abba from Akko, and then changed his ways when he saw what Rabbi Abba did, we're going to note another story of Rabbi Abu who said, I used to think that I was humble. Now, it's not usually a very humble thing to say, but okay, with someone who knows about himself, that he uh, he strives for humility, so he thought he was a he was a good example of of, of humility. But then when he saw to be Abba, 
he knew he, he realized that Rabbi Abba is much more humble than him. Um, so uh, how does it? How do we see that Rabbi Abba from Akko was even more humble um, because one time he Rabbi Abba said one one uh, interpretation, and then his Amora. Right? Remember in uh, those times when a rabbi was giving a public lecture. Um, they would be sitting, speaking softly, and they had a um, an announcer uh, or interpreter uh, would be speaking. Here, it's not it's not changing language, same language, but would be expanding and saying in a loud voice. And so we saw that Rabbi Abba would say one thing, and then his interpreter would say something different, right? And uh, you have that sometimes. One time we had a speaker from Israel. He only knew Hebrew, and he's saying some things, and some of the things he said were a little crazy, and I had to translate. Translate them. So my translation, I adjusted it a little bit, and he didn't know. Um, so here, right, you have, but here he did know because the rabbi says one thing. The interpreter he put in his own opinion that was different from the rabbi's opinion, and the rabbi uh, didn't mind, and he was not makpid. Uh, I mean, love in Vetana'ana. So when, when Rabbi Abu saw that, he said, I am not humble, right? Compared, not compared to Rabbi Abba, right? It's an amazing amount of humility to watch your, you know, a student, uh, uh, an interpreter go and change your words and set, pass them off as yours. And you say, that's ah, okay. And now Rabbi Abu, we mentioned here that he said about himself that he was humble. So he also himself was humble. Where do we see Rabbi Abu's humility? Great story. One time, the wife of that interpreter, uh, we don't have his name, um, went to the wife of Rabbi Abu, the sage who was sitting, and said, my husband doesn't need your husband. And the fact that my husband, the interpreter, bends over to listen to what your husband has to say, that would be the choreography, the rabbi giving the lecture would be sitting, and the Amorah, the interpreter, would be standing, and he would bend over to listen to uh, a few words, and then he would stand up and announce them. The fact that he's standing over, that he's just doing it to show respect, right? My husband just wants to show respect to your husband, but he doesn't really need him my husband is smarter and he could give the lecture better that's why he changes the words um, uh, when when he hears your husband now the the wife of Rabbi Abu went and told Rabbi Abu what the wife of the interpreter said and you'd expect uh, Rabbi Abu to get angry about that as how dare how dare she say that she must have heard him saying that my interpreter thinks he's better than me most people would get upset. But the husband said, who cares, right? What does it matter to you? What difference does it make? Between me and him, Hashem is exalted, right? What does it matter whose chidush it is, who adds, who changes words, if it's my interpretation or his interpretation. We work together. I say something. If he has a better explanation, good, then he says the explanation. Either way, we're learning Torah. We're teaching Torah. I don't need to get credit. And if he thinks he's better than me, that's fine, right? Maybe he is better than me. And so that shows the greatness, the great humility of Rabbi Abhu.
And now yet another story about Rabbi Abhu's greatness. Vetu Rabbi Abhu imnuda banan ale le lim manye beresha kevan de chazel Rabbi Abba demin ako de nefishi le baale chobot amalehu ikaraba. Rabbi Abhu was voted in to be uh, to uh, to be uh, the head of the yeshiva, right? To be the the, the resha, very prestigious prestigious position uh, with a good salary. However, he saw that Rabbi Abba of Ako that's is you know his person he respected as being even more humble than him, but he saw the Abba had many creditors. Rabbi Abba was was uh, was was poor. He was in debt, and so Rabbi Abu said, uh, even though you voted and asked me to be Rosh Hashiva, I uh, don't accept it. Uh, there's a greater sage than me, um, and that is Rabbi Abba from Akko. I want you to give the job to him. Now, it wasn't actually because Rabbi Abba was greater in knowledge um, that Rabbi Abu rejected it, but rather because he was poor. And uh, Rabbi Abu, well, I mean, I suppose Rabbi Abu could have taken the job and just given charity to Rabbi Abba, but, you know, giving someone a position is more respectable, and so that he would be able to pay off his debts, Rabbi Abu, in his great humility, uh, uh, um, rejected the job and said, give it to Rabbi Abba. And that is uh, sure, certainly a great level of humility himself. Now, a somewhat famous story of this of Rabbi Abu with a different rabbi, Rabbi Chiyabat Abba. Uh, they both were traveling and they went to a certain place at the same time. Rabbi Abu Darash Bagadata, Rabbi Chiyabat Abba Darash Bishmata. Rabbi Abu, our rabbi, the, the, the humble one from Kesaria, he was teaching Agada, which everybody loves to hear Agada. It's nice, it's fun, it, um, uh, teaches teaches people Musad, but in an interesting way. And Bichaya, he was teaching halacha, the intricacies of uh, detailed uh, legal discussion. The crowd left Bichaya because it was very difficult to concentrate on that, and they went to the Abu. They wanted to hear the nice stories. However, the Bichaya, he got depressed, right? Everybody left. He's uh, sitting there with two people, and the Abu has a thousand people. So to be Abu, in this humility, he didn't want to say, well, because I'm better than you, or I'm a better preacher, I'm a better teacher than you. No, he wanted to, um, he wanted to lift the spirits of, of Rabbi Hayah. And he said, I'll give you a mashal. I think it's interesting that Rabbi Abu was teaching Agada, is using an Agada in order to appease uh, Rabbi Chaya, who was teaching halacha. This is, I'll compare it to a parable. Um, two people, one is selling precious diamonds, st- precious stones, and the other one is selling little trinkets, needles, and your cheap things. Who does everybody go to? The one who's selling the little trinkets, the, the, the fake jewelry, because they can afford it, they can buy things. The one who's selling the real jewelry for tens of thousands of dollars is only going to get one or two buyers. And so that's the same thing. I am selling, giving, teaching Agada. Agada is, you know, small things that everyone can appreciate. But you, you are, te- you are teaching the real essence, the precious stones, the, the halakha, the legal matters, which are very difficult. That's why. So really, the reason you have fewer students is actually because you are better. A beautiful thing to say uh, by the Abu to make his colleague uh, feel better. 
כל יומה הווה מלווה רבי חייא בת אבא לרבי אבהו עד אוש פי זה. משום יקרא דבי קיסר. Now follow up to the story is that every day רבי חייא, the one who was teaching the laws, would escort רבי אבהו to his host, to his lodging place. Why? Because of the respect of the emperor. Because רבי אבהו was close to the emperor. We said he lived in קיסריה, so he was close to the government. So רבי חייא wanted to show רבי Abu respect, and so when they were in some place and they're walking together, Rabbi Chaya would go out of his way and escort Rabbi Abu home. However, that day, the day that this this incident happened, Ahu Yoma il alve alvie Rabbi Abu Rabbi Chaya bar Aba ad ush pize vafilu hachila uitotab datemine. On that day, because Rabbi Chaya felt depressed and upset, and Rabbi Abu wanted Rabbi Chaya to cheer up, so he switched roles, and Rabbi Abu escorted Rabbi Chaya to his lodging place. Nevertheless, Rabbi Chaya, but Abba's mind, was not at ease, and he felt insulted, he still felt bad, but I mean, Rabbi Chaya, Rabbi Abu did everything he could, he told him this nice mashal, really your teachings are more valuable than mine, he showed him respect, uh, but uh, uh, sometimes even that um, is not sufficient, and Rabbi uh, uh, still felt bad. Okay, bizman sheshalich sibur omer modim ha'am omerim. Okay, next topic. Uh, since we were just talking about what should the congregation say when the kohanim are reciting berkat kohanim, now a related topic of what should the congregation say when the shaliach sibur is reciting modim in the chazarat hashatz. Uh, he's saying modim. This is interesting. It doesn't say here, but uh, the question is why should uh, the congregation say anything? Uh, after all the other, the rest of the barachot in the, in the Amida, uh, when the Chazan says something, the people just answer, Amen. They listen and they say, Amen. So why not just say, Amen, to modim as well? Um, uh, one reason I saw is because um, for, uh, for other things, if you're praising and you say, yeah, I agree with the praise or, or requesting things, you can send a shaliach to go and make a request on your behalf. But for, to give thanks, to give gratitude, that you have to do it yourself, right? You have to express thanks on your own. And therefore, the, everyone in the congregation has to get, has to get up and uh, say and express gratitude for themselves. Okay, now they're not going to say the very same thing. That of the of the that the Chazan is saying. Uh, so what what should they say alongside the Chazan? Amarav modim anachnu lach Hashem elokenu al shanu modim lach. Rav said he that the congregation should say we thank you Hashem for the fact that we can thank you. Isn't that a wonderful thing that we have a chance to give thanks and praise Hashem and show gratitude? That itself is uh, requires thanks. You don't have to say. A whole thank you because the Chazan is already saying the normal modim beracha, and so they're just um, adding on. You know what? The fact that the Chazan and we can all say give thanks. We're thankful for that very fact. Okay, that's what I've said. Shmuel Amar Elohe Kol Basar Al Sheano Modim Lach. Shmuel adds that you should add a further. Uh, appellation of Hashem, who is the God of all flesh and being. Rabbi Simai Omer, Yosrenu Yosef Bereshit Al Shana Modim Lach. So you should add that Hashem is the creator of everything and uh, uh, from creation, uh, from the beginning, and that's uh, uh, in the merit for the merit of giving you thanks. The same theme, but that you should add um, more description 
of, of Hashem and what he's done. Said, Ed, we, we express um, blessings and praise to your great name. You have given us life, you have sustained us for giving thanks to you, right? We thank you for all these things and for the chance to give thanks. They always they'll end, add, add on at the end, but you shouldn't just say the fact that we can thank you, but add some substance to it. That the fact that you gave us life and you get and you sustain us every day all the time. And Ravacha would conclude the blessing by saying, "May you add a little bit of a prayer. May you give us life and give us grace and gather." us together um, from uh, from the exile to your holy courtyard so that we can follow all of your laws and do your will with full heart um, and f- because we are able to give us give give thanks to you um, and so that's a beautiful way to end so now we have all these different opinions and each of these dip- opinions I assume each one would say their own uh, their own uh, formula and uh, there's lots of different formulas you could say they all are on, around the same theme what should we do said these are all beautiful why should we choose between them let's say all of them and in fact if you look at our modim dirabanan and the reason why it's called modim dirabanan we know the prayers of dirabanan so the reason why this one in particular is called modim dirabanan is because it's made up of Formula, formulations of all the very all these various rabbis and so the papa says put them all together in one paragraph there's still there's time to say it while the chazan is saying the the the, the rest the other modim and uh, we should say them all together this statement of the papa is interesting because the papa says the same thing in a few different contexts um uh, a lot of times when there's different opinions about what exactly to say and the papa says, put them all together and say them all. Um, so you wonder if Rav Papa said this only one time and the Gemara is one, uh, then applies his same opinion to other contexts or if Rav Papa said it each and every time. Another famous time where he says it is, what's the Beracha after going to the bathroom? So one rabbi said, basar. The other rabbi said, you should say, Mafli Lasot. Rav Papa said, therefore, you know what? Say both of them. Um, so that was his, uh, that was his shita. And um, most likely, he he said it in one context, uh, and then uh, the Gemara says uh, Rapapa has a good methodology and applies it to other contexts as well, where we take multiple prayers and put them all together. Yitzchak says, you should always have the awe of the public upon you. In other words, treat the, the masses courteously. Don't just say, oh, so it's just a bunch of people, right? Give people respect, a group of people. How do you know that? Because look at the Kohanim. They are faced, when they get Kohanim, they're facing the people, and their backs are to the Aron Kodesh. The, their backs are to the Shekhinah. And so you see how important the, the respect of the congregation is that you face the congregation and Hashem doesn't mind that the Kwanim's faces to his uh, backs are to him.
um, because they they have to give respect to the congregation. You can learn the same lesson from here that people you should treat the, a public crowd with respect because you see uh, David Amelech, um, he stood up on his feet and he said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. Now, why does he call them brothers and people? Which one is it? Um, if it's a brothers, why say why say people? If there is people, meaning subjects, then why does it say brother? Uh, so the Beelzebub explains. He this is what he told them: If you if you follow my words and listen to me, then you are my brethren. I will treat you as brethren, uh, treat you like buddies, and treat you well. But if not, then you will be will be my subjects, and I will rule over you with a staff, even by force. Um, and so you see here that he uh, he tries at least to treat them respectfully and said, you know, if you respect me, I will respect you and treat you as my as my brothers. That's the ideal relationship, even between a king and his subjects who has the power and authority to to rule over them uh, harshly should not do so, should treat the public with respect. that one should treat the public with respect, that the Kohanim are not permitted to go up to the stage to give a Birkat Kohanim with their sandals on. And this is one of nine takanot, um, ordinances that Abiyo Hanan Zakai made. Now, what is the reason? Isn't it because of, out of respect for the congregation, when you're doing Birkat Kohanim, they're going to be lifting their, their, their arms, and then their robe will lift up slightly, and they're going to have their dirty sandals in front of everybody. Right? They're all, they didn't have uh, paved streets. They're walking through mud and dirt, and who wants to see their dirty shoes? Take off your shoes out of respect to the congregation. Um, so you see that we can see that, we, we can learn from here that one should have respect for the congregation. You're standing in front of them, you should look nice. So that seems to be a good proof. However, Rav Asher rejected it. He says, no, no. The reason there is because um, if a strap of a sandal might break, and then his you know, shoelace might become untied, and then he's going to go and tie it. And the people will say, hey, how, come he's, uh, how come he's not saying Birkat Kohanim? And he's bending down over there. And they don't know that he's tying his shoe. They're going to say, oh, it must be he's bending down and not doing Birkat Kohanim because he is a halal. And maybe his mother is a Girusha or Halusa. And that's why he's not doing it. So um, it will uh, speak, uh, people will make up false rumors uh, because of that. So therefore, in order not to get into that, um, possibility better everyone just take off your shoes and then uh, nobody will uh, be bending down and anyone no one nobody will think these bad these false rumors all right back to the Mishnah uh, it says in the, in the Mishnah that when the Kohanim Sebekat Kohanim, outside the Beit HaMikdash, the people say Amen after every single Pasuk. And everybody answers Amen. But in the Mikdash, the only, there's only one, uh, the, 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 the Kohanim recite all the Berachot as one, and the people only answer all the way at the end. 
So why? Why is the Bet Mikdash different? Because there's a rule, you don't answer Amen in the Mikdash. What does that mean? Well, let's explain. Tenor Banan, Minayin She'en Onin Amen Ba Mikdash Shenemar. Kumu Barichu Et Hashem Elokechem Min Ha'olam Min Ha'olam Ad Ha'olam. The Baraita explains that you don't answer Amen in the Mikdash because Pesukir Nechemia says, Get up and bless Hashem from, uh, it was everlasting from all time until all time. Uh, meaning that the, you don't say the usual amen, which you would say in a regular Bet Knesset, but rather a more full formulation like Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto Le'olam Va'ed, is the Le'olam, which is exactly what we do on Yom Kippur, right, when we're reenacting how the people reacted. When they heard Hashem's name, Shem HaMeforash, right, they would uh, bow down and they would say Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, and that's why they did not answer Amen, but they used this long formula instead. It's not because it was less holy, it was actually more. And now where exactly did they say this Baruch Shem? Did they say it once, all the way at the end of Birkat Kohanim, after all three? Is one possibility. A more likely possibility is that they said Baruch Shem every time they heard Hashem's name. And therefore, when the Kohen said, Kohenim said, Hashem, everybody would say, And then they would have to go on, and that replaced the saying Amen between each uh, pasuk, and therefore the Kohenim were able to continue and say all three pasukim as one. Good. And now, furthermore, the Braita adds, How do you know that one should bless Hashem's name after every blessing? One should respond after every blessing and after every praise. Uh, so, because the pasuk, uh, the rest of the pasuk in Nehemiah says, and uh, one should bless uh, the honor and uh, exalt um, Hashem on every blessing and praise, on any blessing and praise that said, one should uh, that one should respond with praise, and that's why uh, we answer Amen or Baruch or Baruch Adonai Olam Amen Amen. Rambam says on um, as a response to hearing uh, a uh, praise or Beracha. Okay, next Mishnah, Berkot Kohen Gadol Kesad. Way back, the first Mishnah in the Perek uh, said that these are things that you have to say in Hebrew, and one of them was the Beracha of the Kohen Gadol, the Berachot of the Kohen Gadol that he recites on Yom Kippur. And now we're going to elaborate on that ceremony. Hazan Kakaneset notel sefer Torah, Venotna le lo le rosha Kaneset, Verosha Kaneset notna la Segan, Vasegan notna le Kohen Gadol. When this is uh, paralleled in Masechet Yoma, uh, when it comes time uh, during the Yom Kippur service to read the sefer Torah, the Hazan, Hazan in the Mishnah does not mean the cantor, but rather the attendant of the Bet Knesset, in this case of the Bet Hamikdash, um, uh, like, more like the Gabai. Uh, would um, take the, it says of the Knesset, sounds like there was a Bet Knesset area, um, an Anharabait, would take the Sefer Torah from the Aron Kodesh and give it to the head of the Knesset. It would be like the president. Um, and we have inscriptions that talk about Arki Synagogos, the head of the synagogue. And uh, that he, that the head of the synagogue would give it to uh, the deputy Kohen Gadol, who would give it to the Kohen Gadol. So you had this uh, procession, each one giving it to the other. 
And then, Kohen Gadol Omer Mekabel Bekore Aharemot Veach Beasor Vegolele Tatura Omanicha Becheko Vomer Yater Mima Shekariti Lefnechem Katub Kan Ubeasor Shebechomash Pekudim Kore Alpe. So the Kohen would stand and uh, receive the Torah and he would read Aharemot which is what we read today on Yom Kippur in the morning and gives uh, all the Pesukim about the, the Yom Kippur service. And then he reads Ach Be'asor, who happens to be Parashat HaShavua, from Parashat Emor, the section of the holidays. He reads the section that talks about Yom Kippur, which actually we don't read currently on Yom Kippur. And then he rolls up the Sefer Torah and uh, holds it in his chest. Um, these two chapters are in uh, both in Vayikra, near each other, chapter 16 and chapter 23. So it would only take a few seconds to roll it from one place to the other. Uh, but then he, say, he announces, there's more than what I read to you is, uh, is written here in the Chumash. And then he reads the relevant section of Be'asod in uh, Parashat Pinchas, which is our Maftir on Yom Kippur, which is the, where the Korbanot um, relating to Yom Kippur. That is, a far, is far away from Vayikra. You have to go all the way to Bimidbar. So Torah Sibur doesn't want to have to wait till uh, make everybody wait while he rolls. And so that he says by heart. And after he finishes saying all the Pesukim from the Chumash, he says seven Berachot. Just like today, uh, the, so the person who says... Um, after every Aliyah, you say Berkat Torah, and after the Haftarah, there's a long series of Berachot. So this is um, an even longer version of that. Uh, he says Berachot ala Torah, ala Vodav, ala Hodayav, ala Mechilat Avon, ala Mikdash, ala Yisrael, ala Kohanim, ala Yerushalayim, v'ashar Tefilah. He says eight different Berachot. One. Praising Torah, Berkota Torah, Allah Voda, sounds like something like Rese, Allah Hodaya, something like Modim, Bechilat Avon, because Yom Kippur, right? Um, might, this might be similar to the middle Beracha that we say on the Amidah on Yom Kippur. And he gives uh, uh, um, uh, praise and thanks for the Mikdash, for all of Israel, for the Kohanim, for Jerusalem, and then he continues with the rest of the prayer. Good. The Gemara says we can derive from the beginning of the Mishnah that one can give honor to a student even in the presence of a teacher. All right, let's say you have a teacher and student present and you want to give uh, praise um, or, or honor to the student. Um, is that permitted? We see from here that it is permitted. Where do we see that? Because look here how we give honor to the uh, these the, uh, underlings, these deputies, for the Chazan and Rosh that These are all under the Kohen Gadol. We give honor to the deputy Kohen Gadol by giving him the Torah and only then we get, they give it to the Kohen Gadol. So you see that we can give honor to lower people in front of the higher person. No, it's permitted here because the, the honor given to the lower ones is only for the sake of the, 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 the great one. In other words, by adding this procession, it actually makes it more honorable. Look how they each one's handed to the other, going up and up and up to show how important the Kohen Gadol is. He's above all of these people. So actually, it's not really for the honor of the Sagan Kohen Gadol, but rather giving it to Sagan Kodel precisely to give honor to the Kohen. So you cannot derive from here that you can give honor to a student for the student's sake, right? But rather only um, if it will contribute to the honor of the, of the one who is greater. Uh, if you watch the coronation of King Charles, 
um, uh, you, you'll see that in they, they keep handing the king various items. And if you look carefully, right, there's the attendant the, of, the, uh, of the abbey. He gives it to the, some, some priest who gives it to the archbishop or gives it to the head priest. And only then that guy gives it to, to the king. Right? And you see the same thing there. That procession is all in honor of the king. And of course, they got that whole ceremony from here, from Aramishnah, from from uh, from Jewish sources. Um, so you can actually uh, see it live in action on TV. Ve'kohen gadol omed umekabel ve'kore. Ve'kohen gadol then stands and receives the Torah, and then he reads from it. Um, so we uh, we uh, infer Mikelad Yoshevhu. Sounds like he was sitting. Since says the kohen gadol stood up to receive the Torah, so beforehand he was sitting. But how could the Kohen Gadol be sitting in the Mikdash, right? Didn't we learn in the Tosefta says that one is not permitted to sit in the temple courtyard. It's out of respect. You shouldn't be sitting in this place of holiness. Only one exception, a king from the house of, of David is allowed to sit, as the Pasuk says in Shemuel, David came and he sat before Hashem. Okay, fine. Um, he said, who am I? That uh, well, What is my house that you brought me thus far? Right, he's giving his uh, uh, expression of humility uh, there. A king can sit, but a Kohen Gadol, nobody else can sit. So what does it mean that he, was, that he stood up? How was he sitting in the first place? And the answer is Kedamad Avchista Be'ezrat Nashim Hachaname Be'ezrat Nashim. Avchista, in a similar to a similar question, answered that it was not in the in the court in the main courtyard of the Beit Hamikdash, but rather in Azrat Nashim, the woman's courtyard. This is not the same as what we call in the Beit Knesset Azrat Nashim, where the woman stood, but rather it was a section um, at the courtyard outside of the main courtyard, where that was the farthest that women could go. Men go there too. There was only a separation between men and women on Sukkot. They made a special thing, right? But the point is that that's the farthest that women could go. It's called Azrat Nashim. That had a lower level of holiness. The holiness of Azrat Nashim was the same holiness as the rest of Har Habayit. It's only when you pass through the, the Nicanor gates, that's when you get to the higher level of holiness. And so in Azrat Nashim, one is permitted to sit. That's where he was, not in the courtyard, not in the main uh, courtyard. Hold on, we have a question. Where does he read? Where does the Kohen Gadol read the Torah? So the first opinion says, Ba'azara, in the actual temple courtyard, in the main courtyard. Uh, second opinion The second opinion says, no, it was on the temple mount, not in the temple courtyard, but um, outside on the, on the mount. Um, and he learns that from Ezra, who read the Torah in front of all the people um, when he was in front of the water gate. Um, there's one gate of the uh, of the Temple Mount where they brought the water in when they needed to bring water in. Um, the Watergate Hotel of the of Watergate history um, in America is named after this very pasuk, the Watergate. So this is the original uh, Watergate from the time of Ezra. Since Ezra read the Torah there, that means that that's the place where you're supposed to be reading Torah to the public. And so, according to the second opinion, the Kohen Gadol would be reading on Harabait, not on the temple, not in the Bet Mikdash Azara. So there's no problem for him, but it is a question, according to the first opinion, that says Azara in the temple courtyard. How was he allowed to sit? 
And the answer is, Amar of Chista, Bezrat Nashim. Yes, it was in the Azara, but not the main Azara, the holy courtyard, but rather in the Azrat Nashim, which had a low, lower level of Kedusha. And that, in that place, the Kohen Gadol was permitted to sit. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen.